Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Broad Eye podcast. My name is Sean Maloney, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Bruno Fernandez. Bruno, thanks for joining for the episode. Pleasure to be here again, my man. <laughs> Good. And we're here today with Dr. Flavio Resende. Flavio, thanks for joining us today as well. Thank you, guys, for the invite. Ah, it's our pleasure. So um, you have a pretty uh, robust and impressive background in ophthalmology. I was hoping maybe you could just share with our audience, let's say the highlights of your career uh, or what took you from uh, starting out in medicine to where you are now. Um, just, you know, a brief overview so people know, uh, know why you're here today. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, first, uh, I, I very much appreciate the uh, the, uh, the opportunity, the invite. Uh, yes, so I I'm originally from uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I, I grew up in a in a family of ophthalmologists. So my father, my sister, my brother-in-law. Um, before coming to to Canada, uh, we had a, a private practice in Rio de Janeiro. So. I came, first time I came to Montreal uh, to do my, my, uh, my final training in ophthalmology. So I did medical school and ophthalmology residency in Rio de Janeiro. And then I came for my uh, uh, PhD at, uh, at, at McGill. And then I did my, my surgical retina training at McGill and ocular oncology at McGill. So I, I spent three and a half years uh, in Montreal. Then I went back to Brazil, uh, practiced with my family for six years, then moved back to, uh, to Montreal. And I, I've been here for the past uh, 12 years now. And uh, I did my, my, my postdoc uh, at the University of Montreal. So now I'm, 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 I'm the, the head of the department uh, at Maisonneuve Rosemont Hospital. And I'm part of the uh, retina team from uh, University of Montreal. So I'm a vitreo retina surgeon, uh, very much involved uh, in um, uh, the, the, uh, the very cutting edge uh, technology in uh, surgical retina. Uh, we're also involved uh, with many, um, what we call translational research uh, and clinical trials uh, research. So every, every uh, research that we do, the, the final end is the patient. Uh, uh, in our uh, research uh, unit, uh, we actually have developed, uh, discovered and developed molecules that we're actually now testing in, in humans in clinical trials. So uh, there's a lot of things uh, going on and many hope for, uh, you know, patients who have lost or are losing their vision. That's great, man. That's very exciting. And, and one of those uh, cutting-edge technologies that I know you've been uh, involved with was the, the retinal implants, right, which basically brings back the vision to patients that have, uh, that have lost it. And, uh, of course, this is uh, uh, very exciting, but uh, uh, it doesn't seem to have uh, uh, progressed much. Like, can you talk to us a bit about like, I mean, what it is and, and, and what's the current state of uh, this technology? Right. Um, so, yes, so uh, for the general population, we, we, uh, they like to call it the bionic eye. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty much a, a chip, like a computer chip uh, of some sort 
uh, like uh, that we implant uh, somewhere inside the eye uh, connected to uh, a specialized glasses and then there's a, a little pocket-sized computer that processes the information that you carry around your belt or in your pocket or in your purse um, and that processes all the information coming in. So I think that the, the first uh, thing uh, that is important for the audience to, un to understand is uh, the, the current state of technology, uh, the retinal implants or the bionic eye, they are uh, at, at the, the quality of the image, it's more for end stage diseases. So this means that people who are already blind, totally blind or nearly blind, but it's not for any uh, reason of blindness you know blindness it's caused by many different uh, diseases so the retinal implants uh, they still need uh, a part of the retina and the optic nerve that will connect the eye to the brain to be still functional so this is actually one of the limitations because there are many many diseases uh, like including uh, glaucoma or retinal detachment or diabetes that either the optic nerve or the, the entire retina are compromised. And unfortunately, they are not candidates for this type of technology. So, uh, you know, the, um, we, we were involved with two different uh, projects. One that was uh, Health Canada approved and that uh, we actually implanted in a few uh, patients uh, with uh, various uh, type of uh, successes. And the biggest challenge is that it, it requires a total different uh, learning of what vision means. So the, the uh, you know, it's, it's the, the holy grail for us is to try to, to learn the messaging process from the eye to the brain. And so we were connecting uh, electrodes that were stimulating uh, uh, retinal cells to send the information to the brain. But actually what the patient uh, sees with this kind of technology, it's just, it, it's, it's pretty similar to uh, the, those uh, old uh, neon uh, signs. And when you get close to them, it's like, it's only like uh, dots of light that they are connected together. And then you see uh, things written out of it. Uh, so they're pretty much uh, black and white, uh, you know, um, what we call phosphines uh, that connected uh, itself. And then they have to understand each image that they're aiming their glasses towards. They have to process this and, and connect the dots, if you will. Um, so that's, you know, so the, these would be the retinal implants. So there's still some companies working uh, with uh, some variation of this uh, device. Uh, currently, um, there are no companies uh, that in Canada that are doing this uh, anymore, unfortunately. So the one that, that we had access to, a second site, they no longer uh, produce their uh, retinal implants. Um, but there is, they team up with another company uh, that they are on clinical trial uh, nowadays. So. This is uh, to be uh, seen in the near future. Uh, we also had the experience of working uh, with a team from Australia 
which is uh, the one that uh, Dr. Natalia Vila uh, was involved as well. Uh, that we they actually uh, the the group they had uh, their own uh, what they call the next generation retinal chip uh, that supposedly would give a, a much higher uh, definition of images. Uh, and they reach out to us um, because we were one of the centers in Canada for uh, the retinal chip implant uh, to develop a surgical technique for them. So we did that at, at the Maison Rosemont Hospital. And so we designed a surgical technique uh, for them. Uh, but there were some uh, company, unfortunately, some company issues there that they discontinued, uh, they closed down the company as well. So the current state of retinal chip implants uh, is there's one uh, trial going on in the US. Uh, the the company is called Pixium, and that's where we are right now. So the second site company that had the approved the, the retinal chip implant, now they're currently working on a brain implant, which uh, the only major difference is that there are more people that could be eligible for this implant. But obviously, this no longer uh, uh, is involved uh, a retina surgeon for it. It's a brain surgeon. And the unfortunate part is that apparently the definition of images, it's exactly the same as the retinal uh, chip that they have. So it, there's not a much difference in terms of the image quality uh than what we had uh, so far so it sounds like the you know the retinal implants like you're saying are really targeting certain uh, ocular diseases and maybe some of the gen degenerative retinal diseases but uh only to a certain point because they need to have some residual retina left um, and then the cortical implants seem to say well let's bypass the retina altogether and that's why you can have more potential candidates is that correct right so yeah exactly so uh, the 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 targeted diseases of the retinal implant was mainly the diseases that were destroying the uh, photoreceptor cells so the cells in the retina they actually capture the light that comes uh, through the pupil um, so every all the other uh, cells they had to be working for the technology to work so it seems now that if someone is not that far along, I guess, in their progression of, of a degenerative retinal disease, for example, um, these implants are not ideal for them. And it seems like the, the field is moving a little bit more toward the cortical implants. So as an earlier stage intervention, I wanted to talk a little bit about gene therapy because there's certainly a lot of buzz around gene therapy and ocular diseases. And certainly the eye is... Um, a very accessible organ for gene therapies. Right. So could you talk a little bit about what gene therapy is? If you had to explain this to a patient, which I'm sure you've had to do on numerous occasions, um, how would you explain gene therapy to your patients? Um, so before getting to gene therapy, uh, so uh, it, as the knowledge of diseases evolve, that's what allowed us to migrate towards gene therapy, okay? Uh, but it's pretty much on the other end of the spectrum of the retinal implants. 
So gene therapy, for it to work, so we are replacing a damaged uh, gene uh, through different uh, technologies. We are learning a lot about this uh, with the current uh, COVID vaccines and stuff. You know, more and more people uh, are, are aware of these kind of uh, uh, technologies, if you will. Uh, but it, they actually are replacing the, the damaged uh, gene. But the more advanced the disease, the less likely the gene therapy to, to work for you because uh, it, it, there's very little rescue of the damaged cells. The idea here, it's exactly the opposite uh, of the uh, retinal implants, which means uh, it's for prevention of progression of the disease. So the earlier uh, detection, the, the more beneficial would be the gene therapy. And in between uh, these two uh, technologies, uh, being the gene, let's say the gene therapy on the earlier stages and the retinal implant on the late stages, we have two other important technologies. One is called the optogenetics, uh, which is a, a kind of a combination of gene therapy and some external hard, hardware that you have glasses that will stimulate uh, the, uh, the changed uh, cells that are still remaining in, in the eye. Uh, and, and you have uh, the cell therapy, which is the, what we know as stem cell treatment. Uh, so this, it's, let, there's more damage than the, the usual candidates for gene therapy, but less damage than the usual uh, candidates for uh, retinal implants. All right, man, that sounds exciting. Like, so talking about candidates for gene therapies, like, uh, uh, what are the ocular diseases that can be treated uh, uh, using uh, gene therapy? Right. So uh, there's a, a group that, of diseases there that it's called inherited retinal dystrophy. So these are diseases that uh, you, you're, you know, the, the, some gene came out wrong and there are a multitude of diseases uh, of changes in your gene that can generate um, uh, vision loss. Uh, and, but they are uh, mostly uh, gene therapies um, being developed nowadays are for damaged uh, photoreceptors or uh, retinal pigment epithelium cells, which are, let's say, one of the support for the photoreceptor cells. So the great majority of gene therapies are aiming uh, these, con these conditions. So conditions that, that either the photoreceptor cells are dying or the retinal pigment epithelium uh, is dying. And between these two cells, it's, it's where it happens what's called the visual cycle. So uh, it's where the information, the light that it's coming inside your eyes processed into a, a, a nervous stimulus and will send uh, a, the information to the brain and the brain will interpret as image. But this is also important for people to understand. So if you are, so from the, uh, the time that your uh, photoreceptors capture the, the light and, and transfer, uh, transformed into uh, a information, a visual information, 
before it reaches the brain, it connects to the, the visual part of the brain, which is called the visual cortex. It interacts with many other parts of the brain that will, you know, help you, you know, like when you see a food, you know, you already attach that image of a food with a certain smell. So, you know, just to name one example. So if you stimulate directly your visual cortex with a visual implant, you may lose these kind of interactions that force, you know, there's a reason why the eye uh, before reaches the brain, you know, that the, the visual cortex is the very back part of the, uh, the, uh, the brain. So there's a lot of, there's a big pathway to go from the eye to the visual cortex. There's a reason for it. It's because there's all this uh, other interactions of other senses that we have that are attached to vision. To the point that you know some the uh, you know some uh, people who ha have no vision, they are blind. Uh, they have you know their auditory uh, system, so they their hearing it's much improved because they take that part of the brain they use for their hearing. So it's all interconnected, so, and that's why I still uh, prefer therapies that are focused on the retina and the optic nerve versus a brain implant. You know, it's interesting, the example you're talking about, I never really thought about the idea of the signal having to pass from, you know, the retina at the front of your head to the uh, visual cortex at the back of your head and, right. and these other uh, potential interactions. It just made me think of a story I read about um, a guy who had his corneas replaced. He had some chemical burns in his corneas as a, you know, two or three year old boy. And I want to say it was, you know, 40 years later or something like that, where he had these corneal transplants and he was able to quote unquote, see again, but the objects that were in front of him, he didn't know what they were. Like he had right. to, he had to touch this cereal box to realize, Oh, that's a, that's actually a cereal box. It wasn't, you know, he had to relearn to see, even though he was able to see some images, yeah. he couldn't, he didn't know what it was until he had to touch it, smell it and experience with the other senses. So it's a, uh, right. it just kind of brings up that thought. This, this was something that was part of our uh, recruitment process for the retinal implants. So, uh, you know, there was one particular uh, patient that received uh, one of, of our implants that uh, she, she told me, she said, I know I'm going to do well with this because I, I, I can see. And she meant by she had a visual memory that was very alive. You know, so for the audience, you know, for people uh, who have a visual impairment, it's very, very important for you to practice in your brain what, let's say, what an apple looks like, what a banana looks like, what a bottle of water looks like. Because you know, whatever therapy uh, in the future may help you, you need to have that, uh, you know, visual memory going because that's how you will perform better. And that's usually something that it's very little, uh, there's letter, very little people talking about it uh, because it's, it's a bit abstract if you don't have this kind of uh, experience with, with these uh therapies for end-stage diseases. You know, these were patients that were blind for years before we put the, the implant in their eyes. So, no, it's an interesting topic, right, that, uh, that people don't often think about. So I'm just curious what, 
you would identify as some of the primary obstacles or challenges for advancing gene therapy for these ocular diseases or maybe more specifically these inherited retinal diseases. So, and when I say obstacles, I mean, uh, you know, in the research lab or as a clinician or, you know, for industry that are trying to develop these therapies, uh, it's not quite as simple as, oh, hey, here's, I have a a gene that I'm going to replace and here's a vector and shove it in the eye and boom, because if it was that simple, then this would have been happening you know, years ago, I think it boils down to how, you know, big that gene is or, or whatnot, right. but maybe you can elaborate on some of those challenges. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the, uh, the situation that we are nowadays with the pandemic. Uh, the, the technology that is being used uh, uh, and the speed of the, uh, you know, uh, the progression of, you know, of the vaccines that are being uh, um, uh, in Quebec, uh, it's an unheard of speed of building something that it's not very far from uh, gene therapy, um, uh, and it's going like what you know what we like to say from bad to bench side and, and like really quick. Uh, so I believe that this will open uh, a, a new uh, era of uh, gene therapy uh, uh, treatments that will uh, come uh, to patients sooner. And the reason why I'm saying this, because the biggest challenge is that each mutation nowadays, so these, to begin with, these are rare diseases, okay? So there's not a lot of people carrying each one of these mutations. So as a whole, well, it, you know, it's a, the big group that we call retinitis pigmentosa. Uh, inside this, uh, you know, group of diseases, there's a whole bunch of, uh, of different mutations that will end up destroying the photoreceptor and the retinal pigment epithelial cells. Uh, but each mutation and each type of gene therapy, which are, because there's different types of approaches for one single type of mutation. Um, they each one have to be tested separately for clinical trials. So the speed that this, uh, you know, like for instance, right now there's around, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere between 60 clinical trials for different types of uh, gene mutations, uh, all for inherited retinal dystrophies. Um, so each one of them are being uh, studied separately. So this, it, and it's a delay that, uh, you know, the essence of gene therapy, that meaning that has to be, uh, you know, offered to the patient early on in their diseases, it's, you know, not allowing a lot of patients to have to benefit from it because of the whole process. So I'm hoping, you know, I always like to see on the bright side. So I see the bright side of this awful pandemic is will help, uh, you know, people who have inherited retinal dystrophies at some point to have quicker access to gene therapy. Uh, all right. So, so just to, to be clear, if I understood correctly, like so for, for, for a patient uh, uh, to be a candidate, like I mean, for this kind of gene therapy, like having... The target disease uh it's not enough right? like i mean we need to know 
if uh, uh, the patient also has the, the, the mutation. So in that case, uh, genetic testing seems to be like a key step right? like, I mean, for, the, right. for the patient to eventually enroll and benefit from this therapy. Is that right? Exactly. So this is it. So that's where uh, we're we're hitting a new wall that before wasn't considered a wall. So people who had these diseases uh, had no treatment for it. So the great majority of patients don't even know which kind of mutation they have. You know, and many times they didn't even have an ophthalmological follow up because they simply said, well, there's nothing to be done in my case, so why bother? So there's a lot of people now uh, that, you know, are hearing about, oh my God, well, there's this, am I a candidate? So we won't be able to know if someone is a candidate for gene therapy if we don't know their mutation. So now we're trying to educate, and I thank you for the opportunity in this space to um, talk about it. So. We're, we're trying to educate ophthalmologists, optometrists, and patients in general that have these uh, uh, inherited retinal dystrophies or retinitis pigmentosa as a, as, as a whole uh, to contact their uh, ophthalmologist back or you know, to seek out for, um, you know, so uh, we had you know, the honor to be chosen uh, to be one of the, the the first sites in Canada for the newly uh, newly approved uh, first gene therapy uh, treatment in Canada. Uh, name of the drug is called Luxterna, and, and, and it's uh, it focusing in a specific uh, mutation that it's called RPE65 uh, mutation. Okay, so uh, you know one of uh, our retina specialists. Uh, in our hospital uh, named uh, Dr. Cynthia Kian. So she is a retina surgeon and a, a retinal dystrophy specialist. So she, uh, you know, she, she's trying to put up a, a, a put out a task force uh, to have, uh, you know, people who have the diagnosis of retinal dystrophy or, or retinitis pigmentosa uh, to have uh, their uh, you know, their gene uh, identified to see if they are actually a candidate for the current approved treatment. And well, what if they're not? It doesn't matter. At least you already know what is the mutation that you have. Because, you know, as I mentioned, there's a lot of uh, studies going on right now that may soon be uh, related to the mutation that you have that caused uh, your uh, visual uh, deficit. So, um, you know, we will provide um, uh, a phone number uh, to contact uh, Maisonneuve-Rosemont Hospital um, specifically uh, for, uh, for the goal of, you know, seeing uh, Dr. Cynthia Kian um, to, um, you know, to allow us to test the, the, uh, the, uh, the genes and see uh, what are the mutation and if, if it's the proper mutation, eventually the patient can be a candidate for uh, gene therapy already available now in Canada. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because like we are so used to see like patients trying to find a treatment. And in this case, it seems that there's a treatment trying to find its patients, right? Exactly. Uh, so we... Uh, so it, it's, uh, we are, you know, 
there's a, 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 I see this as a revolution. Okay, so that, that probably gene therapy is going to be the biggest medical revolution uh, of our time. Uh, so this is only the first, you know, it's, it's the first approved in Canada altogether as a gene therapy. Uh, and there are, and, and it was great because, uh, you know, although the, the current approved uh, treatment is uh, for a mutation that is not very common, but it was very successful in treating the patients that, that do have this mutation. So now, based on the success of this uh, technology, many other ones are following, which are more complex treatment, uh, but for a, a more frequent mutations. So, and that was probably one of uh, the, the barriers for the, uh, you know, the retinal implants is that, you know, the first implant that was out there didn't perform as well as the first gene therapy that is out there, if you will. That is, that, that's very exciting. Uh, so we're definitely gonna, we're gonna uh, post uh, the, the ways of contacting you and your team, like right. in the description of this podcast and uh, on our social media channels as well. Uh, Sean, you have any yeah. other questions for us? Uh, yeah, well, I have about, uh, you've got about, what, six, seven hours. You can sit and answer my questions, right? So, right. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously this is of, of um, paramount importance to me as well. I mean, I'm, I'm a co-host of this show, but I'm also a patient that, had, that is legally blind from retinitis pigmentosa. So right. I had the luxury of going to the National Eye Institute back in 2009 and participating in a project there where I was able to uh, or they, they were able to identify the mutation causing RP in, in my family. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, uh, I think it's great that there's more of this going on this, um, right. this genetic testing. And hopefully this will be one of the channels to kind of get that information out there for everybody. Right. And, and so there's, there's a lot of things involved with this, you know, like one of the important, you know, uh, questions uh, of families, as you mentioned, family is that, you know, these mutations, a lot of them are uh, carried on, you know, passed along, uh, you know, the siblings. Um, and so, and, and there are different uh, disease severity. So some are, you know, many are diagnosed early on in their childhood, but there are some that they only appear later on in life. And uh, for these ones, you know, sometimes you're passing along a defective gene that you don't even know that you're passing along. So uh, as we're uh, starting to provide, uh, you know, gene testing, um, we, we are also uh, are planning to, to provide uh, gene counseling, which is also as important, if not more important sometimes, you know, to educate people uh, what to do you know, depending on the mutation, is, am I going to pass along to my siblings? Can I have siblings and stuff like that? And what are the risks of my siblings, uh, you know, to get this disease? What are the risks of my other family members to have the same type of uh, disease that, that I do? And, and from where the disease came from, you know, in, in, our, uh, in our family. So these are all things that, you know, were you know, left aside uh, until now that simply because there was nothing else to be done about it. And, and in fact, uh, hopefully with time, the uh, gene testing will become more simple because you know, nowadays we still have to ship to the US to be analyzed the, the samples. 
uh, you know, um, Novartis Canada, uh, she, they are the ones uh, that had this, the, the recent uh, approval for the first gene therapy. And they, they are the ones that are helping us out uh, with uh, gene testing uh, the patients that, that do have uh, a diagnosis of retinitis pigmentosa to see if they can be eligible for the, the treatment, the approved treatment. It's also important for the audience to understand this is not a research project. This is already an approved drug by Health Canada. You know, this, I just have one follow-up question that I'll, I mean, I have a hundred, but I'll, I'll throw one that comes to mind as a patient. So I've gone through that testing. I know the mutation. It's an RPGR uh, mutation that I have right. in my family now, but I have other family members who, um, who are affected, but have mm -hmm. never gone through genetic testing for them to be included in future clinical trials. Mm -hmm. um, is it sufficient or in general, is it sufficient that they have a family member with a known mutation or will they also have to undergo genetic testing before they could ever qualify for, um, for any of these clinical trials or treatments? No, no each one has to have their own testing because uh, depending on the type of treatment, like for instance, uh, this uh, uh, RP65 treatment that we are uh, providing now, um, you have to have uh, both genes affected. And you cannot know this just by uh, another member of your family having the tested gene. So you don't know if you receive both genes or only one gene. Uh, and that's why also there's different you know, in the same family, there's different spectrum uh, of uh, disease expression. You know, some, uh, you know, relatives can have uh, very uh, low vision while others have very minor uh, visual impact from the same uh, mutations, just that they, they, they don't have exact, uh, you know, both genes affected or it's not as expressed as it is in one other family member. So no. Each one have to have their own uh, gene tested. Oh, great. So listen, Flavio, we could uh, sit and chat with you uh, all day long and maybe hope we can get you back for a round two at some point, because I think you have right. a lot of experience and insight that uh, the audience can certainly uh, benefit from. So I just want to take a moment to thank you for participating in the show today and that we will be linking to uh, the different resources in the show description. Uh, so the contact information for anybody who wants to reach out to um, apply for the genetic testing at the hospital in Montreal. Yeah. And uh, if there's anything else that you want us to add, of course, we'll add that in there. So just thanks uh, for taking the time to chat with uh, Bruno and I today. Thank you very much, uh, Sean and Bruno, uh, once again for the, the invitation. And uh, I'd like to congratulate you guys uh, and what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Flavio. Bye-bye, guys.